Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Help me, please, Doc. You're on the air. Good morning. Take it away. Good morning, Zeb. Oh, hay fever time. I always have that. Yeah. When that grain dust gets in oh, the air, and, and, and they're, they're combining right yeah. next to me right now. Yeah, it seems early, but they're yeah. going at it. So I'm sorry. Yeah. So, got a question for you, Zeb. If there was a particular beverage that shaped the Old West, what would it be? Well, I'd have to say whiskey. Okay. You didn't say milk. You said whiskey. Mm, I had to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're going to talk about. All whiskey. Right? Whiskey. E Y or Y? E Y. See, they're not all. They're not all spelled the same. Well, they probably don't taste the same. No, either. but I think, and I'm going to probably stand corrected on this. I think when whiskey is spelled just with a Y, it comes out of Canada. If it's oh. E Y, it comes out of the United States. Well, this is I might EY. have that reversed. Okay, this is E Y, but it actually played a role in shaping the West. Its rise to prominence over rum or vodka has its roots in the early days of the United States. Its story began with the early colonists who learned to distill spirits from their new agricultural bounty of corn, wheat, barley, and rye, and they continued with our uh, that continued with our founding fathers, which led to the Whiskey Rebellion. Oh, really? Now, whiskey also has strong ties to the early explorers, uh, the mountain men, the pioneers, the railroads, and more. It was sold as medicine. It was used to barter with and fuel the temperance movement. Because whiskey's main ingredients were easily grown all over North America, the art of distilling spread as rapidly as settlers into newly settled regions. Hmm. And if you think about it, any time a doctor was going to do surgery... What? They poured whiskey on it. <laughs> and in it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then you watched your patient automatically heal and run the 100-yard yeah. dash. So it was taken internally and externally. and Yeah. Uh, Put you out and then bring you back. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, whiskey was quick and easy to produce, and distilling grains into alcohol made them more valuable, more transportable, and more easily stored for long periods. I could never understand why on the trail drives in the movies and TV when the Cowboys hit Dodge City, they always wanted whiskey. No, I'd want something really cold. Yeah, but, you know, the popularity of whiskey grew, and as whiskey's popularity increased, so did its value as a trade good. Really? You don't think of it as a trading uh, deal, but, you know, whiskey, bourbon, and rye were readily available for sale uh, sale all along uh, the trails and one thing or another. Now, early explorers, uh, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark and Zebulon Pike. Oh, good. He's my namesake. Okay. <laughs> Took whiskey along yeah. w- with them on their expedition. He was a black mark on our family. <laughs> he was. Well, as I recall, he got lost trying to find Pike's Peak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so but anyway, in addition to it, uh, it's being a standard army ration. And if you think about it, the water that the uh, soldiers had to drink, whiskey was probably preferred over some of the water. Didn't they use the whiskey actually to purify some of the canteen water? They may have. I mean, it would have 
probably been better. Yeah. But it was used as a reward for their men and for trading purposes. And by the time Lewis and Clark set off on their expedition, the Indians along their planned route were already accustomed to the use of whiskey as a trade good. And, in fact, they demanded it. Is that how the TV series F Troop, that comedy, started? Because they mixed the water and the whiskey? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you know, now you talked about Canada. So the French-Canadian traders had already established the whiskey negotiation as part of their regular commerce with the tribes they encountered. Major Thomas Biddle, who would be on the later Yellowstone expedition on the Missouri, wrote, quote, So violent is the attachment of the Indian for it that he who gives most is sure to obtain furs, while should anyone attempt to trade without it, he is sure of losing ground with this antagonist. No bargain is ever made without it. So, you know, as I was doing this story, I thought one of the worst things we did to the uh, American Indians was the introduction of of alcohol. It created a problem that cost many, many lives. Yeah, and I... I you just knocked your microphone sideways. I just feel bad about <laughs> that situation. But anyway, another guy named Abraham N. Binninger began selling bourbon and whiskey. Bin- Binninger? Binninger. 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 Oh, okay. uh, and whiskey from his New York City store in 1778. In 1849, his heirs, Binninger's Old Kentucky Bourbon Reserve 1849 was the first bottled bourbon in the country. So, wow. So now later, trappers like Jim Bridger, Kit Carson, James Beckworth, and Jedediah Smith, they carried it with them as a trade good after they too learned that the native peoples wouldn't trade with them if they didn't include whiskey in the bargaining process. Now, how did they take it with them? Was it in the big vats or barrels or what? No, I don't know, because I I assume any way they could carry it. Of course, if they had wagons, they would use uh, barrels, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, Beckworth recalled a trading run rendezvous and here's what he said the absent parties began to arrive one after the other at the rendezvous shortly after general ashley and mr sublet came in accompanied with 300 pack mules well laden with goods and all things necessary 300 yeah all things necessary for the mountaineers and the indian trade it may well be supposed that the arrival of such a vast amount of luxuries from the east did not pass off without a general celebration. Mirth, songs, dancing, shouting, trading, running, jumping, singing, racing, (laughs) target shooting, yarns, frolic, with all sorts of extravagances that white men or Indians could invent were freely indulged in. The unpacking of the medicine water contributed not a little to the heightening of our festivities. Medicine water. (laughs) That was, uh, yeah, so that was Beckworth at a rendezvous. Mm -hmm. Now, Missouri played an important role in the settling of the West. It served as a starting point for traders and pioneers in wagons, where goods of all kinds were shipped up the Missouri River to the West, and it served as a major hub for the whiskey business. And it's where most of the immigrant trails began, including, of course, the Santa Fe Trail, the Oregon Trail, all those that pretty much started there. But as a flood of immigrants rolled their wagons, handcarts, and livestock across the West, the lives of the people who already called the West home would never be the same. Whiskey's popularity as a trade good made it an essential tool in opening up a new 
territory. Well, how expensive was it? I'm going to get to that. Oh, I figured you But would. its influence compounded the damage that was immigration's legacy for the native people. And, really? and that's what I mentioned. Yeah. So in 1833, whiskey was trading at $5 a pint or $40 a gallon. Okay, $40. The cost for whiskey in New York was between $29 and $36 per gallon. In today's money, $40 would be about $990 for a gallon of whiskey. No kidding. I mean, that just blew my mind when I saw that. Wow. But supply and demand ruled, and whiskey became a hot commodity. Distillers and others in the business in Missouri enjoyed a good trade in the late 1860s and the early 1870s. Because they were able to ship products to many western cities from the port city of St. Louis. I mean, you know, they just went up the river. An early buffalo hide camp along the Arkansas River in southwestern Kansas, Dodge City became queen of the cow camps after the Texans started driving their cattle up the western trail to the new railhead in 1876. H.B. Bell. That was was a great, 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 great uncle of mine. Okay, that's what I thought. You know, founded the Varieties Dance Hall. In 1877. Uh, that was old Hubert. Yeah, that was him. Uh, just south of the tracks, anyway. And he said it became a popular whiskey watering hole for thirsty gamblers, cowboys, including Bat Masterson's younger brother, George. Yeah, he was fun at Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'll bet he was. <laughs> Life of the party. So as whiskey became more profitable as a commodity, producers had a hard time keeping up with the demand. So businessmen who wanted to turn a quick profit and fill their coffers created a, what they call, quote, rectified whiskey. Well, rectified. I'm going to tell you. I see. (laughs) Okay. So rectified whiskeys products were watered down or doctored with other cheaper ingredients like tobacco juice, kerosene, or grain alcohol, and that's where they get the term rot gut. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Tobacco juice. Uh, yeah. Where did they get I the... I'm don't scared know to where, ask about this. I don't know where they got the tobacco juice. I've got juice. a feeling I know. <laughs> I'm not going to even go there. Okay. Straight whiskey was aged in new oak barrels for a minimum of two years, whereas rectified whiskey was usually consumed... Immediately. Required no aging and was often further distilled. Many whisker peddlers and saloon owners made their own version of whiskey. And I guess after a few drinks, you wouldn't know the difference. How would the saloon owners know whether they were getting the good, the bad, or the ugly? I think the owner of the saloon knew. And the bartender probably, you know, you see movies where a guy walks up to the bar and says whiskey, and uh, he says, no, give me the good stuff underneath the table there. Yeah. Not the, not your cheap stuff. Oh, my. So anyway, elixirs and bitters were also available and were another common way that both men and women pioneers could get drunk. Now, you think of a pioneer woman out there all by herself, and, you know, she could get a little Thinking, uh, I need a little, a little drink here. You know. You're on your own. <laughs> but, you know, I don't blame him one bit. <laughs> you know, with his value as a trade uh, commodity firmly established in the West, it was only natural that as the frontier expanded, so did the whiskey-based entrepreneur, entrepreneurs. Now, now, were there distilleries in the, like St. Louis and everything, that shipped to the I, West? I think they were all over the country, yeah. eventually. 
But the pioneers opened a variety of whiskey-related businesses, and a host of other enterprises were formed in the West to support the growing population. Uh, businesses like stagecoaches, freighters, glass and bottle companies, barrel makers, distributors, hotels, railroad cities, gamblers, distillers, mining, salesmen, and saloons all thrived because of whiskey. Because of the whiskey business. Yeah. 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 So it, it was it was big business. Wow. So, now, three years after Fort Keogh's commanding officer, General Nelson Miles, evicted the fort's whiskey-selling businessmen. He okay? what? He got rid of them. Wanted to get them out of the fort. All right? Well, the enterprising merchants had built two towns, one called Milestown and another one called Miles City. Which remained. Yes. And that was to serve the thirsty soldiers and cowboys who'd flooded into eastern Montana following the end of the Great Sioux I War. I did not know there were two. Well, and I'm not sure if Milestown still exists. No, I know Miles City's there. I've right. been there many times. Yeah. Yeah. So, But, you know, the merchants, they just set up a business outside the fort. And here, there they went. Do we have time to take a call or a question? Uh, Let me ask you that before we go. I don't know. Can we hang on? Yeah, call or hold on, please. We'll see how yeah. much time we got left. Hold okay. on. Well, businesses all across the West boomed with whiskey, but none more than the saloons, the dance halls. Other than the distillers themselves, the men and women involved with those businesses undoubtedly had the biggest connection to and profited the most from whiskey's influence. I mean, you think about the mining camps, Ed. Oh, you know, wow. uh, if you rolled in there. Well, in fact, uh, up in Albion, not very far from us, uh, there was a wagon load of whiskey that was going through Albion many years ago. It got stuck in the mud in the middle of town. The guy auctioned off his mules, painted saloon on the side of his wagon, and commenced selling whiskey and others to up the local Albion? people. Up in Albion? Really? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Now, in money towns like Tombstone, Arizona, Virginia City, Nevada, or Dog City, Kansas, popular whiskey drinks of the day included whiskey cocktails, whiskey slings, whiskey punches, rock and rye and stone fences. Only in rural or poorer towns would saloon owners serve their customers a simple shot of rot gut or cheap whiskey in some dimly lit, lit ramshackle little dumpy place, yeah. watering hole. Yeah. Now, picture this. Buffalo Bill Cody, there's a picture of him that I saw, and some of his buddies, they uh, pause between drinks in front of the Cherrywood Bar at his Irma Hotel in Cody, Wyoming. Yes. United Kingdom's Queen Victoria, a personal friend of the American showman, shipped this Victorian bar from Great Britain, Great Britain to be a centerpiece of his inn, which was named for his daughter. And that's still there. Oh, I, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. still there. So whiskey had become the popular drink for the American West, but its rise was about to fall as the turn of the century neared. So did the push for regulation and temperance. The Bottled in Bond Act was enacted in 1897 because until then, the government did not regulate what was put in whiskey bottles and sold to the public, which could be dangerous, Absolutely. make you go blind or yeah, whatever. whatever. Well, the act was was a significant regulatory reform and ensured that 100% of the liquid sold as single malt whiskey was distilled in the same distilling season by a single distiller and that the spirit had been aged for a minimum of four years in a federally bonded warehouse. Ooh, so very strictly... They got tough, didn't they? Yeah. 
Now, here we go. The Women's Christian Temperance Union had been created in the 1870s, and they were, of course, pushing for prohibition, state prohibition laws. Eventually, uh, national prohibition was passed and brought another chapter of scrutiny, economics, and opportunities to control the markets. When the repeal of prohibition allowed whiskey back on the market, it was regulated and mass-produced, and the love affair between the American West and whiskey was all but over. Now, predating the ratifications of the 18th Amendment prohibiting distilling and consumption of alcohol in the United States in 1919, Congress passed the, and I'd never heard of this one, the Anti-Canteen Law prohibiting the sale of alcohol on all military installations. The temperance and anti-saloon leagues pointed to army posts across the country as great dens of iniquity and alcoholism. Oh, they were so pious. They were. Now, the Palace Saloon in Prescott is the oldest continuously operating bar in the state of Arizona. Been there. It opened as the Cabinet, Cabinet Saloon in 1874, and its famous bar was pulled out of the burning saloon in 1900 yep. and returned as the saloon centerpiece when it was rebuilt in 1901. Have you been there? I have not. Go. Yeah. Go. It's absolutely amazing. Well, and it says, you know, today the Palace Restaurant and Saloon anchors Prescott's historic whiskey yep, row. they do. Okay. Uh, just a minute, hang on there, hot collar. I've got uh, <laughs> just a little bit more here. Okay. Anyway, some some of today's artisan distillers are exper- experimenting today with like blue corn, oats, qu- uh, quinoa, amaranth, and other exotic ingredients. Uh, blue corn. Yeah, uh, another company called Balcones Distilling in Waco, Texas created its baby blue whiskey from roasted heirloom blue corn, and its brimstone whiskey is smoked with sun-baked Texas scrub oak. And while some distillers are using some pretty exotic ingredients that the pioneers didn't even know existed, others are using technology in their distilling methods, and it's quite possible that Western Frontier whiskey makers may have experimented with, you know, different things of wood chips, tree bark, stuff like that. Wood chips and tree bark. Yeah. Oh, boy. To speed the flavor process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in gold mining town of Deadwood, founded in 1876, saloons ran nearly 24 hours a day to satisfy the thirst of the thousands of miners uh, seeking their bonanza in the Black Hills. And almost all the whiskey would have arrived in casks, yes, about that, and been served straight from the barrel straight from the barrel, or into jugs or bottles, and only the wealthy might have a bottled whiskey in reserve. Really? Now, one quick story about Oakley, Idaho. Okay, real fast. Uh, during the years of Prohibition, the sheriff and the judge, uh, uh, judge would uh, put the confiscated stuff in the bank vault, and every so often they would pull it out and destroy the evidence. So one winter evening... The judge and the sheriff were out there in the alley pouring whiskey into the snow, and a few people started watching, and then a few more people started watching, and pretty soon they started to make snowballs. Uh-huh. But they didn't throw these snowballs. They were eating they, they the They were snow. eating the snowballs, and the story says a good time was had by all. They loved winter, didn't they? <laughs> they did. Okay. So. i got to take a quick call if they're still there. Caller, are you there fast? I've only got 30 seconds. Yes, my great-great-grandmother went to Ottawa, Kansas before the Civil War. She said they had such a bumper crop of corn, and the ears were well over a foot long. She says all they could do was burn it in the stoves and the heating stoves, 
and she said that all they could do was sell 25 gallon of corn. Most people didn't realize what it was. Ah, there you go. Doc, thank you. It's good to hear from you. I hate to rush you off, but I've got to get going here. Uh, thank you very much. You know, one thing I'd like you to do is talk to me a little bit about the Old West second favorite drink, beer. And how they ship that across that. the country and uh, if it was manufactured or processed in some of the old western towns or whatever, check on that. And you don't hear much about beer. No, because you always see, you know, about Tucson, Arizona and and uh, all the cities down there in the old west, you know, the beer, where did they get it from? Well, I saw a bumper sticker that said, my other car is a Clydesdale. <laughs> Hey, thanks for coming by. Dr. History, and we thank him very much for all of his effort. He's running out the door, literally. He's got to go to another meeting. See you, Doc. Bye. He's gone. And uh, we'll have more of Dr. History next Tuesday on the program. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.